Today on MakersCast, I talk things to look forward to in 2020 with Kairos frontman Adam Warren. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of MakersCast, my excuse to talk to interesting people in the name of marketing. I'm Matt, and today I am joined by musician and recent Nintendo Switch owner, Adam Warren. Hello, hello. I saw that you have the blue and red Joy-Cons going. Yeah, you know, it, I I really debated for the longest time, should I get the grey Switch, just the plain grey, or should I have a little bit of colour in my life? And it's so easy for me <laughs> to just go, you know, let's just have white everything, white, black everything, grey everything, and I, I've, just, I've been trying to get away from that, really trying my best to put more color in my life and that's just a little bit of me contributing to that sure yeah no it looks good i know they market it as neon blue and neon red or whatever it is but it's very neon if you look at it for me i'm just like whoa it's very neon (laughs) that'll keep you awake when you're playing in bed yes exactly well, I would definitely like to talk some more about Switch stuff later on, and maybe by the power of editing, this portion will be later on. But, uh, <laughs> well, magic. But don't want to bury the lead too hard, as we have many exciting things to talk about. Good, good, good. So, um, for the listener, this is being recorded shortly before Christmas. So, greetings, people of the future year 2020. Oh my god, what's it like? Have we got flying cars yet? Mm. Is Brexit done yet? Ooh. But, uh, as I was saying, this is being recorded shortly before Christmas. In preparation for some very exciting uh, Kairos announcements in the, uh, for the coming year. Yeah, lots of things going on. Where would you like me to start? Well, um, let's, let's probably start with the album, as I think that's possibly the most exciting to most of the listeners. But, uh, <laughs> so, at what point post-Voxumano uh, release did the sort of conception for this album begin? Oh boy. Well, I feel like to explain that I actually do need to rewind back into the cycle for Voxumana because that was a very long process. The the moment that we pretty much finished all of the mixing and we said this is it, done, dusted, we have a product that is ready to release. Almost nothing happened for about 6-7 months. Hmm. Because of a number of things, shall we say, that, that happened. <laughs> um, so in that period, I felt like I had a lot on my mind and I wanted to get that out. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to start writing some stuff again. So by the time Vox Humana came out, we already had two or three tracks that were ready to be brought to the band to be adjusted and you know arranged and experimented with and at the time pretty much everyone who who was well everyone in the band was very aware that because of uh, the amount of time that this was taking to release the amount of time it was taking to release Vox Humana we knew that we may as well get on with writing the next album and that's exactly what we did so Joey started writing Sam started writing I started writing and I I bought three tracks forward and Sam brought I think he also brought three tracks forward as well. I mean, this is this is a long time ago. This is like sure. 2016. Mm-hmm. So we're going back a long time, and I'm trying to remember like how it all began. And it it, it it's a similar thing with um, 
the cross between the first album, Synesthesia, and Vox Humana as well, there was definitely an overlap as to how much material there was already recorded, well, written and recorded to, to a point before Vox Humana came out. Sorry, before Synesthesia came out for Vox right. Humana. And it, uh, yeah, so it, I, I would say we probably began writing this album in 2016, about six months before Vox Humana came out in November. Gotcha. What? Time means nothing since I got out of college. When did you do the tour where I made you waffles that one time? Was that 2016 <laughs> that was, or 17? That was, that was 2017. Uh, oh, man, that was, a, that was an amazing okay. time. That tour was just... <laughs> that's one of my highlights in terms of the amount of, like, just... The st- we, we've only been going for, like, a few years, Kairos. Since about 2013, we've been going as a band, and I feel like a lot has happened in that time. A hell of a lot has so. happened. We've done some weird stuff, you know, everything from <laughs> touring with Spock's beard across Europe to supporting Marillion, and then, of course, being in a position where we could do a US tour was just a dream come true. The fact that we were able to pull it off really was just down to luck. The fact that we had George over at Rosfest, who was, you know, funding the flights and the visa situation, enabled us to be like, okay, well, why don't we extend the amount of time that we're going to be there, and let's just make a tour out of it. And that's exactly what we did. And of course, when we hit Nashville, you guys made us waffles. I did. I was very disappointed that I couldn't make it to the show for some reason. So I was just like, well, I have to do something. So my <laughs> wife and I just came over to the house that all like eight of you were crammed into between Kairos oh, well, and yeah. Edge. Yeah, very, uh, very much appreciated. <laughs> so in terms of uh, this forthcoming album being in some ways born from the process of Voxumano, was there a intentional, at least in the songs that you brought to the camp, was there an intentional differentiation of sort of writing ethos or style like keep making it different there was a lot of stuff that was leading to the process being naturally different from vox humana even without us having to conscientiously think of you know how can we approach this differently everything around us was different to begin with going forward so in in the process of writing vox humana we we were all still in uni, and um, <laughs> Joey was pretty much living over here for that year. So we had we had Sam, myself, and Joey all under one roof. The three kind of three key writers of the band. So it ended up being more of a, shall we say, collaborative effort. It just naturally sprawled out as ideas came. We would come together and just be like, "Hey, should we try this? I've got this idea," and it could be at any time of the day or even night. So, but whereas with the next album after, so Vox Humana came out at the end of 2016, but the thing is, most of the writing for that album happened in 2014. Right. Yeah. This is why I have to go back a number of years and Mm. 2014 is like coming up to six years ago, which is just absurd. But by the time the album came out, we had all graduated and obviously by the time the album came out we had already started writing the next album the album the, the current album that has not been released yet joey moved back to the us and you know set himself up in nashville um mm. as you very much well know and then of course i carried on doing my thing in london and 
as a result of everyone being so spread apart, the whole process changed into a more online-based approach. Mm. Lots of Skype meetings, lots of comment threads in our little secret Facebook group thing. Above the cloud bursting. You've got, there's different levels. You've got, you know, you've got the main page, then you've got cloud bursting as the underbelly, and then below that, the secret, super duper secret underbelly of cloud bursting is the band's secret group. <laughs> the Kairos Illuminati. Exactly, yeah, yeah, but we, uh, I can't divulge too much information about that. It's where we discuss world domination and uh, hamsters. And that's not a lie, that's what the description says. But no one can read the description because it's literally only available to the band members. So yeah, anyway, um, with, the, with the album having that approach of, you know, everyone contributing online through Dropbox file transfers and Skype meetings, it ended up being a, a more, shall we say, separated approach rather than a, a collaborative approach within each song. It would be more a case of each song would be pretty much entirely constructed and then brought to the band and there would be minimal stuff left to do to the song before it was pretty much ready uh, writing wise so everyone would just pretty you know just record their parts and maybe robin would change a couple of drum bits here and there and peter would add his own little flair to some of the bass parts um and of course joey would add things and have his own approach to the guitars but yeah so it, it was it was more of a step-by-step process rather than here i've got an idea let's insert it into this thing that we're working on yeah i was actually uh, in preparation for this to get myself in headspace listening back to the first several tracks of voximana hmm. and you know it, it does feel like a very cohesive whole like as hmm. though all these parts of each song and all the songs together suit this one purpose which you know suits a concept album yeah no i I think uh, we're still very proud of that album it it ended up being a very interesting journey in how it came to be lots of stress lots of blood sweat and tears but it it really is something that i i myself can say i'm very proud of um Mm -hmm. for sure and everyone else is certainly very proud of it which for something that took a couple of years to initially come out and is now a few years older than that, usually I feel like you start hating the things you made by somewhere in that <laughs> period. So that speaks very well of it. Well, don't get me wrong. I can't listen to it. I, just, I, I, <laughs> it's I love the idea to of listen it. To. it. It becomes like, regardless of how proud you are of anything that you work on, it gets to the point where you just can't listen to it and enjoy it anymore because you can still be proud of it. You mm-hmm. can still somewhat objectively take a step back and be like, yes, I'm happy with how this sounds, but you can't listen to it without thinking, oh God, I've heard this at least 2,000 times now. How am I supposed to enjoy this? And it's already the case, I can confidently say, it's already the case with the whole of the next album. It, I I can I can't listen to it anymore because it's been a long process for this as well for a number of reasons. So therefore, we have all heard it a lot. <laughs> no, it's it's interesting that uh, you bring up the the differentiation of like Voxumana being an everyone bringing ideas to the table and you know uh, banging it out in the middle of the night kind of thing versus the new album people just sort of bringing their songs to the table and then it's integrated into the band sound. That seems in a lot of ways like the reverse of the way a lot of bands hit their stride because usually you know you have these disparate members 
bringing the songs they've written to the table, and then once you know they get going, they find their writing groove. So I, that'll be interesting to see how that t- kind of turns out. Yeah, I, the thing is, is I, I was saying earlier with how much we've had happen to the band in the past few years and how amazing it's been in terms of the opportunities that we've had. But, you know, off, off the back of that, we've also had our fair share of just really difficult unlucky moments as well and every album that we've done has been so vastly different in approach thus far because of circumstance obviously the first album was pretty much a solo album um, so that's a thing in of itself and then Vox Humana was a chance for me to be like okay let's get a band together and have these guys contribute towards this album and that worked out very well now, in any normal situation, any normal band out there, that would be like, okay, we found our groove now. This is our method. Let's build on that method. But then, of course, we couldn't. We had to come up with a new method because Joey moved back to the States. Sam moved back to, I'll say the North, but he'll probably <laughs> castrate me for saying that. Um, and then, obviously, I moved uh, back to my parents' place for a couple years. And then, yeah, so we found ourselves in a position where we had to go back to the drawing board and think, right, now what do we do? How do we write this album? Essentially starting from scratch, coming up with a whole new method. In some respects, that's why it's taken so long as well, because we've tried to figure that side out all over again. Right. (laughs) What I will say is the... um, I I don't want to fill anyone's brains with doubt. Oh, of course. And I don't want to have anyone think, uh-oh, they've they, they flipped their entire thing on its head, you know, this method that seemed to work really well for Vox Humana. But I think for me and everyone else in the band, um, this has very much been one of those situations that has tested the ability of the band beyond what we could have ever thought. And as a result, we have an album that Again, we're very proud of, we're very happy with how it's sounding. It sounds very different as a result, mm-hmm. and we're very curious to see how people react to it. But it's, it's, you know, nonetheless, it's absolutely something that we're all very proud of. Otherwise, we wouldn't be putting it out in the first place. Yeah, it's just had a, a bit longer to cure. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and to some degree, I mean, taking it back to the... I feel like a lot of music fans have their idea of how bands operate at a certain point in their careers. How many can you think of that, like, they hit their stride with this album, figured out what they were doing, and then they just sort of rested on their laurels after that, and it lost some kind of spark, where, you know, it could easily be the case where because you had to find a new process and did push through as a group, that it's going to be different, but all the better for it, instead of just, we'll do that again. No, that's, that, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I'm, a big, I'm a big believer in, shall we say, limitation breeding creativity. And I feel like we've... As a writer of flash fiction, I agree with you. <laughs> we find ourselves in a position where we're, we're more limited than ever in, in terms of how we work, and therefore it's... It, it, forcing us to work in new ways has led to ideas that we would have never come up with in the first place. And I think it's responsible for, it's probably the biggest reason is for why things sound different. It's just different environment, different uh, 
workflow, different way we go about contributing ideas. But at the same time, all of the bits that form the DNA of what Kairos is, is still there. We are still the same people. Now, bar, obviously, Sam has since departed the band, which I should say for the record is nothing to do with the changes that occurred. That's just <laughs> because he's now, he couldn't make it work in his life. And yeah. like monetary-wise, he had other priorities. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely fair game. And, you know, we're still best mates. And, uh, of course, he was at our... Uh, Danfest gig recently, which was really bizarre right. to see, yeah. seeing him in the audience on the other side of the fence, <laughs> shall we say. But no, it's uh, having said that, he did, he was a part of the writing process for this album, so he is pretty much still there for the purposes of this album. So the, the songs that he initially brought to the table a few years ago are still in there? Yeah, well, the, yeah, the, the songs, or at least some of the ideas that he brought forward that have been put into some of the projects that are on the album are still there yes gotcha well having had the benefit of being in uh, relative proximity to joey while he was writing his portions uh i i can say that i'm very excited having heard some of his portions okay <laughs> well i'm very curious as to what you've heard i mean it it's very <laughs> okay <pretty. laughs> okay i know exactly which one you're talking about that yes one. Yes, that one. The, yeah, when you said very pretty, that's the I instantly knew which one you're talking about because in terms of the Joey songs in the album, I don't, I'm calling it Joey songs now. There, there's a very, shall we say, heavy dystopian sounding one, <laughs> and then Joey? there's the very no, <laughs> yeah. and then we and then we got the very pretty dainty sounding one. Yeah, it's very. Yes. I'm sure people will be able to now work out when the album does eventually come around and they mm. uh, listen back to this, they'll uh, be able to work out which songs I'm talking about. Indeed. A little scavenger hunt for the future. So, yes. Uh, yeah, as we discussed, there's not a whole lot more we are able to say about the album at this point. But before we move on, could you give, say, three descriptive words that will sort of give uh, the, the future listeners something to expect? Oh, boy. Okay. Um... Three words. Okay, first word is 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Second word is big. And third is... Hmm. <laughs> more. All right, that'll work. There's just, there's more of everything. Sure. <laughs> on, just on a last note, one, one of the comments we had about Vox Humana was that it's a very... Genre-wise, that it touches on a lot. Mm -hmm. We've got you know little bits of pop here and there, and then we've got full-on prog and symphonic rock in some bits, and then we've even got a little bit of you know alternative rock and even some punk in there. And people seem seem to enjoy that. And I feel like people are not ready <laughs> for, for just how much we decided to widen things even more with this album the, the the progressive bits are even more out there and then the poppy bits are even more poppy and the rock bits are even more rocky and the punky bits are even more absurd so it's just <laughs> everything is just we've gone full more on everything all right that's a lot to look forward to <laughs> When I first met you, I think you were working as uh, at some kind of like videography kind of deal. 
Yes, so I uh, I was one of the guys over at Crystal Spotlight, mm. which is a uh, a company that specialises in music videos for bands and social media management, as well as website creation. Um, and I'm not doing stuff for them as much these days, but not to say that I've stopped any of the video work that I'm doing. I'm very much still carrying on with that. So that has, and, uh, in the past year, become pure freelance. Yes, exactly. And um, I will say it's one its one hell of a side hustle. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, not many people think of uh, music video production as a side hustle job, but it seems to have become that for me. I've been making videos for bands all over the place. Uh, a cool set of guys called Ilo. I was about um, to say their name out loud and realized I'd never done so before. (laughs) And I was going to say Elo, so I'm glad you said it. Well, the longest, for the longest time, um, it became a bit of a meme within the community of people who listen to Ilo of like, how do you pronounce their name? Is it Elo? Ilo? Like, because it's a Scottish word, as far as I'm aware. I could be wrong, but they're, they're a Scottish based band. So therefore, I guess it's a Scottish word. That's the conclusion I've come to. It's a very um, good album. Yeah, they're a very, very good album. Incredible album. Probably my album of the year. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I know the guys quite well, and we've had them do a gig with us in London. Um, their debut gig, actually, was uh, them supporting us. So I feel very, uh, shall we say, honoured to be able to help those guys out, because they deserve all the help that they can get. Hmm. For the kind of stuff that they're creating and they wanted a video done and came to me and i was like yes absolutely please i will absolutely get involved with this and here we are fast forward a few months later and i've got this full cg video made for them and people seem to enjoy it mm-hmm. it's it is amazing to see how much this video has should we say reached people out there like Isla are a, a relatively new band mm-hmm. like their new album their their debut album only came out a few months ago and they are climbing the ranks pretty quickly so um major props to them for doing so well and they deserve all of it mm-hmm. because the material is just so good yeah there was um, a, there was a moment after the album came out where I told Joey hey the, those guys you played with you know uh, I, I probably said Elo uh, <laughs> I've been listening to the album. It's really good. And he was briefly excited, like, oh, man, maybe Matt's going to get into Gent. And I reminded him <laughs> that I am the king of finding, like, one thing in a genre that I like and just moving on entirely. Oh, man, I know that feeling all too well. That is literally me. That is <laughs> Just like nothing else sounds I, like I, that. I like the one thing. I Yeah, that, well, that's the thing about Ilo is, like, they appeal to a certain side of me but i'm not i'm not really into gent i'm not really into the whole chuggy chug chug thing but there's other facets of their sound that they've managed to work into their identity that just works so well it's really melodic the synth stuff is really creative and the amazing vocals really sounds goodness. yeah oh vocals are absolutely incredible so it just builds up to this this cohesive package that is tied up nicely in a, with a lovely bow on top that is just perfect if you want something that is heavy has amazing vocals is incredibly melodic and has a fair share of hooks as well a lot of hooks I, I, yeah i love it it's great uh so was there a any overlap period between you working uh was it crystal spectrum 
Crystal Spotlight. Spotlight, apologies. Uh, was there any overlap between Crystal Spotlight and Old Street, or one then the other? Uh, there was a bit of an overlap. So I've been... I started working with Crystal Spotlight a few years ago, and that is an interesting story in of itself, because we went to them to have them produce the music video for Monster, one of the tracks on mm. Vox Humana. And... That was a, a fun process that involved some depth scanning and using a, an Xbox Connect thing to scan us in a 3D environment. And and then off the back of that, Miles, the guy who does all the video work at Crystal Spotlight, noticed that I do a fair amount of video work myself. And um, the whole reason we went to Crystal Spotlight in the first place was because they... Um, well, we, we wanted something that was more CG-based rather than live-action-based. And... He actually ended up asking me if I want, if I was interested and wanted to join the team for video purposes, you know, just to bring someone on to help out. And I actually said to him at the time that following seeing the monster video be made, I had taken an interest in CG. And it was around that time that because of the combination of Miles asking me to join the team and seeing the process of the monster video come about, I suddenly felt very inspired to be like, okay, I suddenly want to know how to do CG now, and therefore I did, and I spent the next couple months watching exclusively YouTube tutorials on how to do certain things in Cinema 4D, which is the CG software that I use. And now it's what I do. It seems to be what I do primarily in terms of the video work. Sure. Now, uh, in terms of you being uh, at least experienced enough in video work for them to approach you at that point, uh, before the CG stuff, was it more videography or...? Yes. Um, well, I made the video for Cloudburst, hmm. and that was, I mean, that was made on a shoestring budget. Literally, we had a projector, projector screen in my parents' living room, and we had a friend of ours bring in their camera set it up on a tripod and we just filmed away and that's pretty much what we did. I, I made the, the um, projections in After Effects and that was like the first time I'd ever used After Effects. And it just seemed to, it was, it's a very simple concept but it worked really well. And I, I've i taken an interest in video production for years up to that point. You know, I've, I've experimented with making little short films here and there and just, but I never really thought about it being a professional thing mm. until Again, out of necessity, I found myself thinking, okay, well, I know how to use Premiere Pro and I know how to operate a camera. <laughs> <laughs> so therefore, let's just, let's make some music videos. Let's make some things for the band's YouTube channel. So we did. So we made these little short films and we made the video for Cloudburst and we filmed some interview bits and like a behind the scenes thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of why Miles took an interest and noticed that I can edit fluently <laughs> it seemed to climb off the back of that it kind of worked out that i was able to then get pre people coming to me directly and i think one of the real one of the real achievements that marked shall we say uh, was a real turning point was when the guys over at i'm the morning came to me directly mm. um, because i previously previously worked with them as part of crystal spotlight we went to norway to film a, a feature length movie for them which was a live in the studio playthrough of some of their material. And it's all really nicely shot. And I was in charge of the uh, drone footage and just being a second camera op. 
that was an amazing experience because we got to spend it at a recording, like living in a recording studio for a <laughs> week in Norway. And this was like in the summer as well, so it didn't get dark, which was weird because <laughs> mm. it's it, it was daylight all through the night. Wow, which is weird. <laughs> it would be like one a.m. and it you could still see the sun on the horizon. That sounds like the worst. Um, yeah, it, I wouldn't <laughs> want to live with that. But as a as a as someone visiting, it was fascinating. Mm. The blackout blinds were very useful. Yep, that'll do it. <laughs> but yeah, I, they came to me directly um, a few months ago and said we would like you to make a video, an animated video, because we saw what you did with uh, lines in the sky. And I said, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Now, whether it was uh, Norway or when you brought it to America, was it difficult to get the drone through customs? No, I've never had any issues. No, it's unfortunately I've actually sold that drone just because I just found myself not using it, hmm. especially since moving into this part of London. I live like in the city now, like right in the middle of London, and it is very much against the law to fly a drone. <laughs> anywhere in this part of London. Um, sure. Even if you go to a big park, no, if the police catch you, you will be fined a hefty fee, a hefty mm. fine, and you will, you do not want to face that. Yeah, because I think yeah. barring waffles that one time, one of our first like, in-person interactions was you like, chucking a drone into the sky at Centennial Park here in town. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That was, uh, that was when I came and visited the year after. So that was 2018. Yeah, for after uh, the Florida um, Ross Fest. Yes. Uh, no. No? No, no, no. After after the Gettysburg. Oh, yes, 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 of course. Ross Fest. Yeah, before they moved down yeah. to Florida. Florida was last year. Uh, well, no, Florida is this year. Did it not happen last year? It's just time mean nothing to me. Time is time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Florida is this year, and then Gettysburg was last year. I was um, starting to think of it as 2020. I was too far into the fiction of the podcast. I know. And there we yes, are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, that'll be why. So, yeah, for the context of the listeners, yes, that makes sense to say last year versus, yeah. Um, <laughs> when we saw Detective Pikachu. But, yes, exactly, yeah. So that that was earlier this year. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But that was that. Yeah, I, I do miss the drone, but I just I can't really. Yeah, I imagine the, the logic being that you can toss drones up in the air here because if someone doesn't like it they'll just shoot it down yeah i think uh <laughs> that's 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 probably the that sounds very american to yeah. me <laughs> yeah, there's some i believe i think it was some european country where that video was going around of like hawks that are trained to mess up drones yep yeah i i have heard about that i've not seen any um any videos but i have heard about that it's pretty killer yeah that's that's hardcore what a world we live in now, eh? I feel like that's something that no one would have ever really been able to call 20 years ago. Hawks. Training hawks to catch drones out of the sky. Yeah. That you can buy with your own money. Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court would have fun with falconry and drones. Where are we going to be in another 20 years, eh? I don't know. I mean, I actually went to a talk recently about, um, you know, there was a symposium held at my old school where they talked about mm. the relationship between science fiction and actual science particularly in the last hundred years and it is we do have a slightly warped view because the last half century has been an insane amount of growth at a ridiculous pace yeah exactly i mean even less time than that. even the past five years we've had so much change mm -hmm. it's um it is hard to keep track 
in, uh, related to what we were just talking about and things I wouldn't have expected five years ago. Did you enjoy Detective Pikachu? Oh, yeah. No, I, I really did. <laughs> that was I actually, fun. I know there's people out there that didn't like it, but I actually watched it again recently with my wife, hmm. uh, which is still a novelty for me to say. Same, and I'm a year <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah watched it again recently, and it still holds up for me. I really enjoy it. I know it's... Um, it has a very predictable storyline, and there's no arguing that. It's a bit of a one-dimensional storyline, but it's still a fun journey, and there's so much fan service, and it's very visually pleasing. Mm -hmm. No, the production design was just incredible. Yeah. My goodness, that yeah, was the, worth the price of admission. It really is. a. Uh, I think people underestimate, or rather, don't talk about how pretty that film is. Absolutely. Yeah. The CG is also incredible. Mm -hmm. All of that CG hair. <laughs> God, just look at Monsters, Inc. now and what it did for the world. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep. Well, uh, I th how about... I don't know where this will get cut in in the final edit, because I'll have lots of fun with that. Uh, but how about we go to <laughs> yeah, I don't the envy that. submitted questions at this point? Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, first one from James Carstairs. If each member of the band was a fruit, what fruit would they be and why? And the other three are not oh. here to argue. It is solely up to us. Oh, yes. Okay, good. We have all the power. Well, I'm a firm believer that uh, every band has the same four types of uh, members. You don't say. As, uh, no. <laughs> and uh, if we can categorize them into fruits, then I think we can do that easily. Uh, yeah, for the followers of Kairos who are not members of the Kairos cloudbursting Facebook group, the memery is, is worth the price of admission, if nothing else. <laughs> yes, especially if you do want to know how every band has the same four types of members and uh, how that manifests visually. But um, so, who shall we start with? Let's let's start with Robin. So, for people out there who don't know, Robin is the drummer of the band. I I feel like uh, I feel. How are we gonna judge this? Is is it because like do we associate types of like personalities with? Fruit? I, I imagine to some or... degree. It, yeah, I imagine it's sort of a a color association or like taste association with emotion or personality. It you know it might be a light mm. form of synesthesia. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, just to loop it back to that. Yeah, just put a um, little laugh track in there. Thanks. <laughs> I see in front of me right now. I've got a little rubber banana fidget toy stress ball thing. You might have heard me earlier. I was I I squeezed it and it made like a little bubbly sound. And I really I was kind of thinking to myself, oh boy, I hope that didn't sound like a fart <laughs> through the mic because that would have been embarrassing. But yeah, if you if you squeeze it in a certain way, it kind of goes like, kind of does that. But yeah. Mm. So I've got bananas on my mind right now and. I feel like for some reason, the more I try and sway myself away from thinking that Robin is a banana, the more the it more just I feels feel, right. It just feels right. Yeah, I think I think Robin is. Uh, but then there's a lot of connotations to that that I also don't want to. Um, I don't know what you mean, Adam. <laughs> to touch on. <laughs> so let's keep this PC. I think because uh, Robin is very tasty. <laughs> I don't know why when I think of a banana, the word dependable comes to mind, but it does. 
It is, you know, a banana is dependable. It comes in its own packaging. It keeps you it's from cramping. There, it's ready to go. It's packed full of potassium, which is a very... That's good. <laughs> so I think uh, Robin is a banana. Because right. he's Because he's dependable. There you go. Peter is... Uh, well, him being Italian already sets like a precedence in terms of like what we can go off of, and I think we're going we're going for fruit. So, the contentious. Uh, Are we about to say tomato? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because of uh, the heavy association culturally of of uh, tomatoes, tomatoes, as you say, eh, we we literally uh, have in, a saying uh, about how it works both ways. <laughs> Well, seeing as it works in Italian, uh, as an integral part of Italian cuisine, my mind instantly goes to tomatoes for pizza, and that's that. I think that's inarguable, irrefutable. That's just the way it is. So oh, yeah. that's <laughs> unless you believe otherwise. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to defer to your judgment on that one. Okay, he, he, he is by far the member that I spent the less time, uh, the least time with, since it was just you and Robin last time you visited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I feel like. At least the people that know the band, people who know us personally, are still of this opinion, or maybe not opinion, but they, they still see Peter as this enigma, <laughs> as this person who is like this mysterious being that is has this aura to them that you can't quite touch. Like Jesus. I don't know why you would and think that um, when I printed 20 shirts of him on a coin-operated horse. <laughs> yeah. he really He really has this aura to him that is accentuated by the fact that he's so hard to, like, reach. Mm. <laughs> he's, he's, um, yeah, he, of, of all the members of the band, he's the one that is very much cloaked in his own, his own world, I feel. He has his own lore, shall we say. <laughs> I, I think that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, beyond that... Uh, Joey, Joey isn't the biggest fruit fan now, in general. I, this is the one where I have a strong opinion. Yeah, okay, go on. I, I'm, I'm very curious. So, Joey w must see this coming. There is no way he wouldn't, and he is a strawberry. Okay. Because... Why? <laughs> because when I met him, uh, I asked... At a, you know, shortly after I met him, learned what his last name was, uh, I, I, asked, what is, oh. I asked, what does that mean? And he told me yeah, it meant strawberry, which I don't yeah. believe is true. <laughs> well, actually, I can fact check this for you, because it's... It's basically bastardized Italian for strawberry. Okay, so it, it is derived from. If I'm remembering correctly, and we've talked to Peter about this as our resident Italian, he says that... So the actual word for strawberry is like... Oh, God, I, if, I, I really hope I don't mess this up. I think it's like fregola or something. Sure. The theory is that as his, as his relatives, as his, uh, you know, his great, great granddad or grandmother or whoever came into the country from Italy that as was very common back then the names were kind of slightly skewed as they were written down on the papers yeah. and then that was taken to become you know sort of government gospel as it exactly as it was as it was stored on the system and you could not contest that and that's just your name whether or not you liked mm. it but yeah, uh, very early on in my knowing him, he told me that's what his last name meant. And so to this day on occasion, I will refer to him as Mr. Strawberry. Yeah. And you know what? I think that's uh, that's fair enough. Yeah, it's Seeing as it's it's in the name after all. It's very but bright and distinct, which I think are words that would easily describe the man. Yes. 
I I think that's fair enough. I do wonder if he has any thoughts on strawberries. I I mean, you've been with him enough to know how few things he eats. I assume it's not favorable. <laughs> yes. Uh, I would even go as far as saying that I would not be surprised if Joey had uh, never tried a strawberry. Or if he had repressed it if he had. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that yeah. just leaves your own self. Oh, boy. <laughs> How can I objectively make a judgment on this when I feel like this is very much a thing that should be left to other people to... Uh, to judge what what would you say well my initial inclination and you know the listener can imagine that i'm gesturing to my chin as i say this was peach fuzz peach fuzz (laughs) okay nice okay i can roll with that i can roll with that i'm also not a big fruit consumer so i I don't have a ton of opinions well i will say on the topic of fruit and joey and myself in the track the door which i know you had a big part of the thing um that was the thing but you can you can explain your part of that in in a second um the middle section where it kind of cuts down to like a little piano solo there's a little spoken word section where joey literally out of nowhere one day came in and said here open up logic and just hit record (laughs) (laughs) and then i do that because i happen to have a mic set up and i was like okay and he just says so grapefruits and if you listen to the door the middle section you can actually hear him say so grapefruits Mm -hmm. and that that was completely unprompted like out of nowhere he just says so grapefruits and i say okay so so grapefruits and he just we just talk about grapefruits i can't remember how buried it is in the mix but it's it's definitely there and you can hear everything to a point that's being said yeah so um I thought grapefruits when I was thinking of myself because <laughs> I don't know many people out there that uh, enjoy grapefruits as much as I do. Okay. And you have to enjoy Very, yourself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that. We yeah. We can be narcissistic about this. <laughs> well, you should explain your part in the door. I probably should. I was also thinking of this. Uh, I was also thinking of this when you were talking about uh, your various music video projects, because it it occurred to me during that conversation the strange amount of times that I have actually been involved in Kairos stuff, or that members of Kairos have been involved in things of mine, because it's never really clicked with me till now. Because I mean, the, hmm. most of the people listening to this probably recall when I printed those weird shirts earlier this year, so that was a thing. <laughs> but. Yes. Uh, in the music video part, it just occurred to me when you were talking about that, that um, you did a music video for Gone, which I wrote the lyrics for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a weird one. And yeah, uh, The Door, which you may recall from, oh goodness, what was the name of the EP that that was actually released on? For you it's guys? just called The Monster EP. That's right. Um, yeah, The Door was a, a from a brainchild of mine toward the end of college where I had this idea that... I would write a set of lyrics and shop it out to all of my musician friends of various disciplines because I knew lots of different styles of musician at college and say, write your own version of this song and we'll make an album of 10 versions of this one song, which fascinated me. And I'm still very proud of how it turned out. It's still on my personal SoundCloud. I I remember when that was all being worked on and Joey was keeping me updated on that and I listened to all the different versions and it is fascinating. Mm. It is really fascinating to see 
how different people used the lyric. And even I, if I remember correctly, one of them is actually an instrumental as well, and the lyric was purely just an influence on how the uh, music was written. Yeah, there were two uh, strictly electronic tracks, and then right. uh, yeah, two. Jesse Peck of Edge of Reality did his very modern composition version with n- nigh operatic versions of the vocals. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah, it's yep. it it was a very interesting project, and I think what made it work was that you know you, you had people around you that were so gung ho and in getting involved and wanting to actually contribute to it. So mm-hmm. it, I, I would say that was a real success. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I do listen to versions that are not my own on occasion. I cannot listen to my version. <laughs> not a thing I can do. It's, I know that feeling. I, I do. But know I, that. I'm one of the few, uh, one of the privileged few who has heard uh, the Joey vocal version of The Door. Oh. Which I assume you also heard so you could then sing the melody. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I just, for some reason, I forgot that that was even a thing. Of course there's a mm-hmm. Joey version of The Door. Yeah. Yeah. It's buried somewhere in my hard drive, probably. Well, for those that are curious about hearing this early version of the... Not the Joey version of The Door, but yes. the, the pre-Monster EP, Kairo-sized yes. version of The Door, you can... That's free game. You can literally go on your SoundCloud mm-hmm. and listen to it. It's yeah. Yeah, so it's it, it's pretty much exactly the same as how it ended up being on the Monster EP. I think we did edit one small, tiny section. But yeah, if you want an idea of what the full Joey vocal version would have been like, there there's the bit toward the end that distinctly does not sound like Adam. That's very you know like uh, 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 digitized, I guess, and, sp- and cut up. That's still Joey because yes. by the way he told it, it would have been far too time consuming to re-record and edit that yes. section. Yep. Because uh, are you talking about the syllables section? That whole yeah, thing. he literally recorded each syllable of each word separately and spliced it together. I just realized that I spent a moment thinking, I don't know what the lyrics are to that section, but I wrote the damn <laughs> thing. Of course you know the lyrics. <laughs> uh, we actually oh, played wow. The Door recently at, uh, at Danfest, so oh, just wow. a couple weeks ago. That was the first time we brought it out in a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's just occurred to me that we're theoretically still in the fan question section. Yes, so we maybe. are. Yes, let's carry on. <laughs> let's move on. But James Carstairs got in there for a second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, James says, do you have any intentions of venturing off your current sound in the next release? So if you want to uh, either reiterate or expound upon the previous version of that answer. I mean, yeah. It, it, we very much, like I said, very much did that unintentionally to a point. It's going to it's going to be interesting to see how people react to the evolution of the sound of the band because as I said the DNA and the foundations are there. You can tell that it's Kairos. You can tell that it's me singing and that the fact that it's me mixing as well is also an integral part of the DNA of the band. It it's there's a signature sound there beyond just what's um, being written. So in some respects, yes, it it is quite a turning departure from um, Vox Humana, but it's it's just it's more of everything. It really is more of everything. There's more mm-hmm. progressiveness on it. There's more poppiness on it. More things that are just like out there and through composed with minimal structure to it. And meanwhile, there are there's more songs on it. You know. Um, that are more verse chorus standard structure. Hmm. So we're, we're, we've just gone all out and we've said, 
let's just go with this direction because why not? Sounds about right to me. Um, we may or may not keep this one in just for lip service of thanking Andy Robinson for commenting and asking a question because we have more or less answered well, he, this. But uh, he is the and, lead singer of Ilo. Oh, hello. Yes, hello, Andy. And, I love your work. And also, it's a common. Uh, it this is another meme in the community is that people call him Andy Robinson. Oh, dang it. <laughs> My brain did a dumb. I'm it's fine. Everyone does it. Very sorry, Andy. No, that's why That's why it's become like, it's just an I easy totally target. I totally did everyone it intentionally it. for the memes. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Blast it. You hear that, Andy Robinson? Oh, <laughs> is, it, is it Robison or Ro- Robison? Uh, Ro- Robison, I think. Robison. Uh, from Andy. So, what are the key driving points behind the Kairos sound from Voxumana, and how similar are they to the new album? Also, when is the new album? As to that last part, that would be telling. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I mean, there were lots of things that came together that formed the sound of Voxumana. It was a real, what we constantly, and this is such a buzzword that was thrown around in the days of when we were sending out press releases for Voxumana, but it was, it was a real melting pot of um, myself, Joey, and Sam, as well as Robin and Peter, um, contributing our own ideas of what things should sound like, our perfect album. And it seems like we struck a perfect balance of um, contributing our influences in such a way that, you know, we, we really wore our influences on our sleeve for that album. You can hear Rush, you can hear Dream Theater, you can hear Porcupine Tree, and you can also hear, you know, all of the 80s stuff that I'm into mm-hmm. with things like Cloudburst. So it's it's very much all there. And it was a, there was a conscious effort to just have everyone be involved in some way or another. Because we could. We could do that back then. We, we, we had the means and the time <laughs> as well. You know, we, we were in uni. And when we weren't in uni, we were able to contribute time to this. Yeah, um, and proximity. And proximity, very, very much living under the same roof meant that we could just work on it whenever we wanted, and we very much took advantage of that. But the uh, the thing is, it's just it was a real ethos of whatever works and we all enjoy goes on the album. Mm-hmm. Everything that we came up with is on the album. We we hence why it's a double album, <laughs> and it, it, everything there is is uh, is a real display of all of our influences you know we've got joey when he joined the band he very much brought in a heavier sound Mm. he was into the more heavy side of things same with sam of course in fact both sam and and joey contributed the more metal side of the album whereas i brought the more synthy kind of pop side as well as in, in everything that you hear on the first album the synesthesia album with the shall we say neo prog um, mm. influences as well as um, alternative rock and pop influences and then you combine that with all the stuff that Robin's into um, which is very similar to what I'm into very very similar and then what uh, Peter listens to which um, is a is an enigma I know he's, <laughs> he's into he's into lots of different things Primus that's Stephen Wilson yeah and it seems like uh, those disparate influences while they, you know, came to a really cohesive whole in Voxumana that, you know, when you did have to, you know, break the proximity of 
you know, working together in the post-Vox Humana era, that, that those disparate influences sound like they're going to create the distinct song sounds from each member on the new album. Yeah, I think like, we've we've taken that... If there's anything that we have built up on, it's very much going off of that mentality, continuing that ethos, and whilst we can't work under the same roof anymore and we can't just spring ideas on each other when and wherever we are, we are all still working under the mentality of let's just do what we, whatever we want and show our influences, wear them on our sleeve and just have no shame in that. Um, mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's the influences that have inspired us to make this new thing that we all like. And I've, I don't know who said it, but there's this mentality slash quote that I completely live off when it comes to how I approach music and writing. And that is, write a song that you that would be perfect if you had found it randomly one day. Like, write your perfect song that you would listen to. And the irony of that, of course, is by the time you've written it and you've refined it and you've mixed it, you can't possibly listen to it and enjoy it anymore. Right. But it's the thought that counts. <laughs> yeah, it becomes um, kind of a, a giving tree sort of ideal of like, this is a thing I want to exist in the world. Exactly. And now it is in the world, even though it took a lot from me to make it. Exactly, yeah. So it's, yeah, it, that that's very much my approach to music is hmm. I want to, at least personally when I'm making things on my own and contributing things to the band before anyone else has looked at them, I'll always say to myself, is this, w- would I enjoy this if I randomly found this via YouTube or Spotify or whatever? And mm-hmm. if I don't, if it's not a yes, if I don't think... This this is exactly what I want to be hearing right now. Then I ditch it. I know that's a very different approach to Joey, because uh, we are very yin yang when it comes to our writing approaches. He's very methodical right. and plans everything out meticulous meticulously in his head. Yeah, lots of iteration how... and refinement until exactly. it has reached the pinnacle. Yeah, whereas I am just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks, and that's why I end up with. You know, over the course of this last this album that we haven't released yet, there's like ten or eleven project files that are there, and they are the actual master files for the songs. There's like thirty or forty other project files that are abandoned and maybe have like eight bars of an idea or even a whole song of an idea that I just didn't like and have just ditched. That's just the way it goes for me, and I, I it works for me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm much the same in uh, my story craft because you know, under underneath the desk that I've uh, I'm sitting at at the moment, there's reams and reams of paper with tiny ideas and full notebooks full of fleshed out ideas that I have not written. Hmm. But you know, they they'll live there and sort of stew, and you stew. know, often become better with age when I come back to them with fresh eyes. Yeah, and you know what? Actually, that's something that happens with music as well. There are things that I will purposefully leave for months on end because I'm like, I just, I can't contribute anything meaningful to it at the time, but I feel like there's something there. And nine times out of ten, yeah, I, I come back to it and suddenly I've got a pair, you know, fresh pair of ears and I'm able to just continue the writing of it and finish it off. A couple of the songs on this next album happened that way, actually. Gotcha. Yeah, well, just... I think part of that answer leads into... This question from uh, Nash Rarig. Rarig? Choose your own adventure there. Uh, 
what are your guys' favorite bands? And I think a lot of that feeds into the influences we were just talking about for the various members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I can't respond on behalf of everyone. I don't know what everyone is listening to these days, but I can certainly answer for my, myself. I'm listening to... Oh boy, you know what? I'm just gonna. I've got Spotify open up, opened up here. So all I can, all I need to do is just list, uh, open up my list of uh, artists that I've been recently playing, and then hmm. that will give me a clear indication of everything that is yeah, appealing to me greatly. Meanwhile, I can confidently say with very few qualms that uh, Joey would uh, respond, "The Deer Hunter." <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's that's yeah. That's one of mine. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very up there, and you know the eternal influences for Joey are sort of your your rushes and your dream theaters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question there. But if you want a list of a uh, very quick list of things that I am listening to these days that are very much inspired, the album we've got Oingo Boingo, which is nice. amazing. So that's Danny Elfman, Danny Elfman's old band. We've Please, Danny Elfman is his father. Elfman's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Lots of Duran Duran, big fan of Duran Duran, love them to pieces. Uh, Rush, specifically 80s Rush. Haim, which I feel like a lot of people in this world, the prog kind of scene, aren't familiar with, but mm-hmm. they're fantastic. So that's spelled H-A-I-M. Poppy, oh man, I don't know if you're familiar with Poppy. I don't know Poppy. Uh, she is something else. She started out as this kind of bubblegum pop thing the internet youtube phenomenon shall we say um very weird and over the past year or so has evolved into a metal artist okay. and is now signed to sumerian records and that's that, that's like a hardcore label so like <laughs> <laughs> so very interesting evolution big fan of um the new stuff that she's coming out with as well as all the bubblegum pop stuff because it's it's just a lot of fun that's P-O-P-P-Y? Um, yes, absolutely. In fact, one of her songs is literally called I'm Poppy, and she <clears throat> says P-O-P-P-Y is part of this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm already there. Yes. Genesis is probably my favorite band of all time, so they are very much continuously on my listening rotor. Mm. The thing is, like, they perfectly appeal to my pop sensibilities as well as my prog sensibilities. They're a very rare specimen in that they have those two things that cater to me perfectly. Mm-hmm. Not many uh, bands out there that can do that. And lastly, to sum it up, uh, Tears for Fears. Nice. Big fan. Would you like to know what, other than your own work, obviously, what song I associate you with? And I'll explain why. Oh, what a specific song? Yes. Okay, yeah, all right. Well, it is. I want to make sure I get the name right because I always get it wrong. Uh, it, it, it's actually "Enjoy the Silence." No way, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh man! I, before I met you, like I, it was shortly after Joey had like gone to London for the long term for the writing of Vox Humana. Um, the two of you did some radio or show or another where you chose like songs to play of the, uh, people that you liked. And yeah. uh, you chose Enjoy the Silence, which I'd never heard before. I don't think I'd heard Depeche Mode before. They were just like mm. a t-shirt to me. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm of a very classic rock upbringing. Right. So, that, yeah, that's the first time I heard that. And that, so I think that was, you know, probably the first time I heard you talk. So that's definitely mm. my association with you. 
Fair enough. That, <laughs> I mean, that's a very good association. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. So, great. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Depeche Mode, is they're a big influence on me as well. So that's, uh, I very much approve of that association. There you go. Uh, next question comes from your friend and mine. I don't actually know him, but I know he's very active in these circles. Nick Andreas. Oh, yes. Or Well, I will say his, his uh, another meme name in the community because uh, everyone calls it calls him Andreas because it's mm. spelt evidently spelt irrefutably <laughs> spelt Andreas can I hazard a guess phonetically spelt Andreas yeah go on guess guess how it's supposed to be pronounced Andres yes it's Andres yes got it in yeah. two yeah you hear that for the Nick? memes I'm standing up for you Nick <laughs> my apologies Nick <laughs> but uh Mr. Andrews asks, why does Adam hate proper grammar and proper packaging? Yeah, see, after defending him, I shouldn't have done that. I should have just been <laughs> like, yeah, it's Andreas. It's very much Andreas. Oh, boy. Okay, so we've got this long-running in-joke that he, he defends jewel cases. Um, I, right, right, right. I absolutely hate jewel cases with a passion because they're flimsy, plastic, very shatter-friendly <laughs> packaging. That just looks cheap to me. It's just I've 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 never looked at a jewel case and thought, yeah, that that is quality. That looks like quality to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, evidently, it feels like the unfortunate chunky side of the '90s to me. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, yeah. Same. Exactly. I very much associate it with a bygone era and '90s CDs. Evidently, some people still like jewel cases and don't like digipacks. I like digipacks because, to me, they have more of an air of quality to them. And you can also print all over a digipack. Mm-hmm. You know, every ounce, every inch of it, every millimeter of it. There you go, combining uh, metric and imperial for you. Um, for the entire family. C- yes, exactly. Can be printed on and therefore enables you to be a lot more creative in your packaging and mm-hmm. graphic design, which I'm thoroughly for. But, yeah, I've never uh, thought about this, but I guess it is a more uh, suitable successor to the vinyl era in yeah, that way. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you've essentially got a mini gatefold. You can open it up and you can, just like we did for Vox Humana, and that's just so much more of a visually satisfying experience than a flimsy, shatter-friendly jewel case. <laughs> <laughs> On the subject of grammar... Oh, yes. I know exactly what he's talking about there. All right. The lamb, the badger, and the bee. So, he's a real advocate for the Oxford comma. It should be the lamb, comma, <laughs> the badger, comma, and the bee, rather than the lamb, comma, the badger, and the bee. And um, I just don't know what to say to that because I'm so far beyond caring that it's just it's just it is what it is. If you want to add sure. a comma into it when you import it into iTunes or whatever. Do it. I don't care. <laughs> I literally, we in the band don't even call it the Lamb, the Badger, and the Bee anymore. It's just LBB to us. So I, just, I was actually I was talking to Joey before this about uh, you know getting some context, so I didn't have to grill you for literally everything I don't know. And I just <laughs> off the cuff shortened shorthanded it to LBB. So I do the same. And, I, and then yeah. afterward realized, no wait, I can spell it out literally with animal emojis. So let's do that. <laughs> yeah, because there is a badger emoji for some reason. Because we live in such a time. As someone with an English degree, 
He is he is theoretically correct, but the fact that it, I believe in the track name, it's an ampersand rather than the word and. Yes, yes, it is an Put, ampersand. I don't know if there's a specific rule that relates to ampersands, but for me, putting a comma next to an ampersand seems so strange. I don't. Now, I see, don't like this that. is a perfect argument because I feel like he's neglected the ampersand. If Wait, you're spelling depending... it out, absolutely. Put put comma before the A-N-D. But if you're using yeah. an ampersand and have a comma there, that's two pieces of punctuation next to one another, and I do not like that. Well, I have noticed it does depend on where you go. Some places do have it down as an and, and some places do have it down as an ampersand. Interesting. Um, but seeing as I do have Spotify open up here, let's quickly check how it's noted down on Spotify. It's an ampersand. So, yeah. yeah I think it is. That, that would look odd if well. you had the lamb comma the badger comma and then ampersand right after i think that would look quite odd mm-hmm. so i'm going to use I think that we've brought world peace with yes, this answer th- we can finally surmise we can end this discussion that's it done an ampersand next to a comma would look odd now just don't call him andreas when you uh bring this up next and then we'll be fine <laughs> yeah exactly all right uh next question from uh yoshiaki miyasaka <laughs> uh, to, to whom I am eternally grateful for uh, allowing me to say that something I made is in Japan because they ordered one of the Peter shirts. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. No, it um, was a fun piece of postage to print out. Yoshiaki is actually a family friend of mine. Huh. Um, so, yeah, he's a lovely guy. Supported us very helpfully through the years. He's, he's, uh, he buys a lot of our merch. He asks, once Adam listed his favorite chocolate, I remember I didn't find so many familiar names like Cote d'Or, Leonidas, Godiva, etc. Does he have bad taste or simply he hadn't tried these yet? Uh, so I think he's referring to when I made the uh, the chocolate list tier, tier list thing. Ah, the, and the, the bygone meme of two months ago. Yes, yeah, exactly. That was very much the height of memory when I was over in the US with Robin back in May. Everyone was talking tier lists. Mm. And as a result, I made my own for chocolate. The reason why I've not listed any of those chocolates that he mentions is that they are the more fancy, expensive chocolates that you don't really find. Yeah, you don't don't go to a local convenience store and find those types of chocolates. (laughs) Those are very much the chocolates that you have to go to um, fancy places for. Specific high street chocolatiers or supermarkets (laughs) and, you know, go to the chocolate section. If you want to stroll down the street to the corner shop and get some chocolate you will not find those chocolates and therefore i will not count them in my tier list chocolates of the people they are great chocolates don't get me wrong they're very nice but they're very uh upper class chocolates the same people in commercials for those chocolates would be in commercials for nice watches exactly yeah it is very much the bourgeois chocolates of Mm. uh chocolate you know class splits out there uh, well, this question actually came in under the wire. What is your favorite tog measurement? Oh, dear God. Who's asking <laughs> that? Uh, uh, one Mr. Strawberry. Oh, dear God. Okay, so we've got this long-running joke in <laughs> the, the back. To be fair, I have no idea what this means. Okay, I need to explain this for for you Americans out there. <laughs> Over in the UK, we have this thing called a tog measurement, which is the measurement of... Um, heat that is stored under a quilt okay so it's basically the th- it's a measurement of thick quilt thickness or duvet thickness 
So when you mm. go to a sh- go to a store, go to a shop and buy a duvet or a quilt or something of that ilk for your bed, mm. you will look at the tog measurement, and it's a measurement between I think it's one and fourteen. So fourteen it's being more than I thought it would be. Yeah, so the fourteen being the thickest possible duvet you can get for In like which you would eat your fancy chocolates. Yes, exactly. So for the deepest depths of winter, if you literally had no central heating whatsoever, you could probably survive <laughs> under under that. And then the thinnest being one which is basically just a blanket. Hmm. Not even a blanket. How do they measure such a thing? I think it's to do with thickness of um like the quilting inside. So the wool or whatever they put inside the the filling. Hmm. <laughs> Um, the cream filling of your blanket. The, the cream filling, yeah. The cream filling of the of the duvet. I think it's to do with that. Mm-hmm. So we have this long-running joke in the band where um, back in the days where we used to do video blogs, almost monthly video blogs, I, uh, anytime Dean, uh, who was our manager, back then he was just our tech guy, although he's always been our manager pretty much. Um, the band dad. Yeah, exactly. The, the the responsibility person. Anytime he was on camera and we'd struggle to think of anything to ask him, we would say, what's your favorite TOG measurement? And it's just the most absurd out there question that no one would ever really want to know or care about. That it's It, it just became this long-running joke. And at sound checks, you know, I'd be on stage and I'd call out to Dean, you know, and I'd say, what's your favorite TOG measurement? There we go. And it's, uh, it's still a thing. Here we are. It's still a thing. You have created a monster beyond the song. It is just, it's an absurd demonstration of English humor, I think. (laughs) Finding something so absurd that is a tog measurement, a measurement of duvet thickness to be funny. Yes. (laughs) So Uh, um, that explains that. All right. And uh, I wanted to get one in there because it didn't feel appropriate for my otherwise entirely professional interviewing. Uh, mm. Do you feel any more or less powerful with your short hair? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, I I actually feel more powerful okay. with the short hair. It's I I feel more at with the lo- I feel like I'm done with the long hair now. Sure. And that's a big thing for me to say because I've had long hair since I was twelve. Mm. That's been a big staple of my identity and the way I look for a very like very very long time. But I feel like I don't miss it. It's done. I've done it now. I can say I've done it. It's mm-hmm. done. I'm my hair right now is actually longer than it should be and it's still right. shorter than it was ever. I'm very much due a haircut, but mm-hmm. yeah, I I'm done with it. I'm done with the long hair. <laughs> no, I think part of the the I imagine some of the power f- feeling for you is that it was straight from long to short and cropped. Yes. There was no in between just like I am here now. But yes, in hair form. It really is. It, the, the difference in lifestyle is day and night. <laughs> like, first of all, cl- like cleaning long hair and maintaining long hair is such, it's such a faff. Now when I'm like cleaning my hair, it's just a, it's, I use less shampoo. I save mm-hmm. money. I don't have to worry about my hair clogging up the drain. I don't have to worry about finding bits of my hair just everywhere for some reason mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just less of an issue now i it just also just doesn't get tangled in things yeah like sunglasses the amount of people forget like you put your sunglasses on and you put them up here and suddenly you, that's it they're stuck in your hair now <laughs> you are one with the sunglasses 
Exactly. Yeah. No, it, it, I, I don't miss the long hair. I'm done with it. it life mm. is easier with short hair and is also more socially acceptable. <laughs> and that's something that I've been kind of putting off saying, but it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it sounds similar to uh, what happened to me. And it's been a couple episodes since we've mentioned this uh, when I stopped wearing fedoras. Because <laughs> I, I was very much a fedora man for uh latter high school all the way through college and then senior mm. year of college i caught my reflection one day you know <laughs> uh, wearing it and it wasn't bad i always thought i actually wore it better than most i don't know i think it, it, i feel like since then fedoras have gone on to have a certain meme status oh absolutely but i think Within I, the internet my terror community. my terror is that i was part of the genesis oh like, i see <laughs> I, oh. I don't i hope not I okay, was not, you know, yeah. I, I don't want to insult like, anyone further, but you know. Yeah, you were you were like specimen zero. You're part of like the the wave that began the meme. That is the terror, yes. Right, I see. Well, let's let's <laughs> hope that that was that isn't the case, but uh, no. But no, I I just caught my reflection one day as I was going to class, and you know I sort of took the hat off and went, yeah, this is better. Like I'm beyond <laughs> it now, but for so yeah. long I had been, you know attached to it i sort of marie condoed uh, the, the hat wearing and said no it, it served its purpose and now i move on i had a very similar experience with um with the hair when it mm. when it went i was like yeah this is this is good and yep. having on many occasions you know when my hair got really long just think catching myself in the mirror and thinking no i'm i'm really done with this now but also <laughs> couldn't just couldn't bring myself to cutting my hair short like there was a good year or so of hmm. debating in my head and then i eventually did it um yeah, that, that is a pretty big commitment because if you regret it it's a while to get it back yeah yeah it really is i haven't had my hair cut since before oh boy when when uh, it was just after i got back from northern ireland after getting married hmm. and that's like august so my yeah. hair seems to it does this thing where it grows quickly and then slows down around about here Hmm. But then it will it will continue going at a very gradual pace over the next... If I did want to grow it out longer, I'd have to wait another four, five, six months until it got to about here, you know, down to shoulder length. That's a commitment. But um, I'm not going to do that. No. We've been gone for a while, but if you'd like to go a little longer, I do have some other things. Uh, we've, you know, we've met in person on a few occasions. We've sort of known each other in a weird tangential way for a few years. Yeah. It's very strange. You know, again, like some of our first interactions were you singing things that I wrote, which is a strange thing to think about. Yeah, that is very strange. So we've never yeah. actually sat down to sort of pick each other's brains because whenever you're in town, we're, you know, running around showing you things. So I, I wondered if you wanted to do like a brief sort of look back at uh, uh, the journey from synesthesia to here. Yeah, I could do that. Is you know, you touched on this earlier, synesthesia was in some ways kind of a solo project for you. What did you, you know, going with your earlier philosophy, what didn't exist in the world that you wanted to exist that you made synesthesia? Well, every time I contributed something, every time I wrote something, I always felt like I had this looming voice, kind of this, this thought at the back of my head of like, what would it be like if we had other people contributing to this? You know, I, w how would it evolve? How would the sound change? And the first taste of that was when I bought, um, brought my good friend Nicholas on board to record guitars. So he is, he's like the original other member 
of right. the band. Um, He's the album one guitarist. Exactly. Yeah. Well, him and Ollie, but I'll come to Ollie ah, in a okay. second. Um, so Nicholas is the guy who wrote all the parts, guitar-wise, on the album, and also contributed one of the main little melodies, um, the little arpeggio thing that is like the entirety of Numenon. That's like his idea and appears in uh, Time Tension and Intervention as well. And I thought, wow, okay, this is great. Like, clearly I'm getting ideas that I would never have come up with, and that was a taster of, like, what could be achieved of, mm. you know, bringing other people on board. So off the back of that, I thought, right, yes, I absolutely want to turn this into a band, but how on earth do I find everyone? Where am I going to find people that are like-minded, can play this kind of music that involves, you know, time signatures going all over the place and is relatively technical? And that's where the magical thing that is the internet came to be a big part of the formation of the band. I don't know if you know the story, but uh, I guess for, for the sake of the listeners, it's very much... <laughs> it, it, it was a real bizarre process. When, when Nicholas said to me uh, that he didn't want to be a part of the project anymore, because he, he lives in Norway, and oh, it was wow. too much of... Yeah, it's way too much of a hassle for him to constantly fly back and forth, and... He said to me that although he he enjoyed working on it, he just he couldn't really make it work anymore. I was left kind of thinking, oh right, okay, this is this is a bit awkward because we've still got a couple bits of guitar to record. So Rob Aubrey, the engineer that uh, worked on the first album, uh, when we were signed to Giant Electric P, the uh, label that we were signed to, he's one of the directors of the label, and he kind of by default engineered the album and uh, he he said oh I know someone that could be interested in putting some guitars down his name's Ollie would you like to meet him and I said yeah absolutely well I'm doing sound for Spock's Beard in London next week and Ollie's going to be there do you want to come along and I can introduce you two to each other and I said yes absolutely <laughs> so not only did I get to meet Spock's Beard who are a band that I very much grew up with and loved still love but I got to meet Ollie and we got talking and he came over to my place the following week and we went through the demos and just got talking and finished off any remaining guitars. I then said to him, okay, do you want to continue being a part of this process? Because I'm going to make a band out of this. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. So what begins next is this, this weird process of, right, let's use the internet to form a band. So back in the days before Facebook groups mm. were a thing, we had this thing called forums. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, forums are still a thing, but it seems like most of them are now dead because people have moved to Facebook. Or they've gone on to become Reddit, you know, yes. message boards. So that's so that's a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, the, so there was, back in the day, a forum for the IQ fan club. So IQ are a band, and uh, they're very much a neo-progressive kind of 80s-formed band that were happening alongside the likes of Marillion. Hmm. Big influence on me, and I loved their stuff, and I was part of their forum. And I made a post saying, oh, I'm looking for a drummer. Is anyone interested? And Robin dropped a message, and that's, well, the rest is history there. Hmm. So, yeah, I met Robin via an online forum for IQ. There you go. And then um, Peter I met via Rob. He, again, was just like, I know someone, would you be interested? And then, yeah, it's because Rob knows Peter's mum quite well. Hmm. 
and uh, Octavia, Peter's mom, is quite well known in the prog circles because she is one of the hosts, if not actually, no, the host of the uh, Two Days Prog Festival in Italy and also has, um, she also helps out with Rosfest and is very vocal in the prog scene. Most people know of her in some way. So, yeah, so um, that's how I met Peter. And then uh, Sam I knew through uni and literally just turned to him one day in class and said, here, I'm starting a band, do you want to be a part of it? And he said, yep, and that's it. That's literally it. (laughs) There you go. So that's that. And we continued that way for a while. And then eventually Ollie had to leave because he was called to be a part of the stage show Mamma Mia. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> no, he's, he was literally called to, um, he, he was about to embark on a world tour for Mamma Mia. And he was one of the, wow. uh, one of the guitarists uh, as part of the crew. Yeah, and then comes the part of the story that I'm uh, then comes where, where part I of the became story. familiar. Yes, exactly. Then comes the part of the story where we decided to open up auditions online and Joey decides to play note for note the whole of Time, Tension and Intervention, which is a 23, 22 minute long track. And we just thought, okay, this is the guy. This is our guy. Let's bring him on if, if you're up for coming to the UK. And he was and he continues to do so. And here we are. Yep, that that was a whirlwind summer for uh, all of us because you know I I'd known him for two years at that point because we met freshman year of college and this would have been mm. the summer after our sophomore year. Mm. And, and he, so, yeah, he he like dropped out, didn't he? He um, yeah, he he straight yeah. up left school to be like, well, that's what I want to do. I want to play guitar in a band. So yes, gosh, gosh, gosh. There you go. That's the story. The story of Jerry. Yeah, Everything, pretty much. All of that led to where we are now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, certainly, I because I don't. I did certainly didn't follow sort of prog or new prog or metal circles until Joey Jesse, and you mm. know, being in proximity to Edge of Reality. So you know, certainly, uh, th- this podcast would not be happening like me talking to you without that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, Joey joining the band opened us up to becoming a transatlantic band you mm-hmm. know suddenly i i i know you and i've got all these friends over in the states that the i know the american tour is able to happen because you have and lots of houses to sleep in exactly yeah it just it suddenly became this thing that that evolved not just the band but our lives mm-hmm. yeah it, it is it is amazing now that i you know i know you and all these or everyone that i do know over there and it's uh it's very cool, <laughs> the fact that we've evolved in such a way that we are this uh, international band. Right. <laughs> now, I don't know if um, it was something I saw you say at some point or something Joey told me, but um, is it right that you didn't do any vocals until Synesthesia? Like, yes. You, yeah, you weren't, wouldn't consider yourself a vocalist until prepping for that. Well, this is the weird thing. I still don't consider myself a vocalist, even though <laughs> evidently I have a lot of experience singing and have toured as a vocalist now. I, yeah. It's weird. Vocals have always been a means to an end for mm. me. Like, I've never seen myself as a vocalist because I had to do vocals because I didn't know anyone else who would do it. Right. So I had to do it myself. And everything that I wrote was kind of was, was for my voice if that makes sense was in the range of my voice or what i seem to be doing more these days is slightly above the range of my voice and then pushing and straining my voice to make it work 
but um, no, I, I, yeah, I, I very much. I one of my memories back in college was asking the teachers there if I could sing on one of our performance things because at, at the end of every term we uh, we would do a performance that was kind of graded slash assessed. It was like mm-hmm. an, a performance assessment thing. And I said, you know, I was beginning to kind of experiment with singing around then, and I was writing some of the stuff that would eventually end up on the first album. And they outright said no. <laughs> and I I just thought, and they, they said, we, we don't think you're a confident singer. And I said, like, I hadn't displayed anything to them that would lead them to think that. Huh. Because I, I wanted to throw myself into the deep end and just do it. They didn't know whether or not I could sing, and I guess that's maybe why they were hesitant. I just went for it. And as to whether or not that's that was the best thing to do, I don't know, because the vocals on the first album are not the best, in my opinion. And I know there are a lot of people out there that will agree with that. Um, but <laughs> it is what it is. You can find every opinion on the internet. Yeah, exactly. It, it, at the end of the day, it's an evolution, and I'd like to think that people can hear the difference between the first album and Vox Humana. Sure. Because um, it was very much a learning experience. You know, mm-hmm. I went through training after the first album, and I did a lot more experimentation, a lot more practice, and here we are, mm-hmm. I guess. And yeah, and, and certainly not a dig to say that your vocals are a lot better on Vox because you put in the work and because you had the experience under your belt. No, I was just going to say, I'd, I'd like to think that people would notice that because it there were people that, because of the opinions that they had of my singing on uh, on the first album, it kind of, it led me to feel more motivated to, again, prove them wrong. And it's funny how you hear all these stories of people doing things out of spite. Right. And I think, I know Joey has a very similar story as to how he became a guitarist, mm. playing guitar out of spite because someone wouldn't teach him Crazy Train. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and it's funny how in the, mus- in the music world, you're either deterred because you are put down or you're motivated to prove people wrong and mm-hmm. you stand out above those people. And um, I think it's, it is what separates musicians yeah. and people who end up going one way or another. Not to say that you know I'm in any successful position or whatever. I, I'm very much still a nobody in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, but you're certainly it's, in a position to say that didn't stop you. Exactly. It, it very much put me in a position where I just I wanted to push myself further to change people's opinions hmm. well yeah and uh, going back to the the Joey story slightly so when Joey was telling me you know over probably Facebook chat that you had he had been offered you know the the position as your new guitarist you know he was you know telling me who you were because I don't think I was aware that he had auditioned until he got it <laughs> Mm. Which is a very Joey thing to do, just like that yeah, I'll, so I'll do it and see what happens, and then tell that people if I get it. So so Joey. But yeah, and, and he sent me you know a link to your work, and I have this very distinct memory of being in the guest room at my parents' house with my now wife, whom I had probably been dating for four months at this point, because you know she was <laughs> over visiting at some point during the summer, and you know uh, we popped open the first track, and obviously you know the the instrumentation and stuff is very 
interesting and good on the first album, but the first thing that particularly my wife and, and also I, but she was more vocal on it, noticed was, wow, he has a really interesting voice. Okay. Interesting. Just like, uh, uh, not, not interesting in the sort of backhanded compliment way, just like, I feel like your voice is sort of almost ethereal in a way you don't typically hear. I'll take it. That's it, cool. It, it certainly cemented uh, not only the fact that you know my best friend was going to be flying across the world to be in this band, but it cemented in my mind, oh, that's what they sound like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like a uh, identity-wise, it's it's the it's distinct. The, certainly. It, yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. No, I I like that. I <laughs> think that's. Uh, no, that's cool. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> yeah, not, not to puff too much smoke up you, but you are my guest. No. Well, <laughs> what can I say? It's, uh, it is interesting hearing people's opinions on vocals because it's, such, it's the one thing that everyone can have an opinion on and, and do. Yeah. Because it's obviously it takes training to be a vocalist, but everyone to an extent can sing. Mm-hmm. It's the closest cipher that any listener has. Yeah, everyone has an idea of how to sing whether or not that means they're a good singer or not is a, is a whole other discussion but it's also the one thing that everyone pays attention to above everything else when they listen to a song the vocals you know that you you could i've learned this especially so since becoming a professional mixing engineer is even if you have a really dodgy sounding awful sounding mix <laughs> if the vocals sound good and it sits where it needs to sit most of the time you can that's it the client will be happy that's half the battle and um obviously i'm not i I, i'm not happy submitting something that is subpar but it's just a pattern that i've noticed people will stop you in your tracks and be like no it sounds good and i'll be like no the guitar isn't even mixed yet (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah it's it's an interesting pattern i've noticed Mm -hmm. it's the one relatable aspect of any song yeah i definitely say that's true so was school where music started for you? Yeah. Um, I... Oh, man. I'm trying to think. So I had piano lessons at a very young age, and then I didn't like them at all. So this was when I was about eight years of age, and um, I quit after, like, a year. Probably not even that. More like eight months. Yeah. And completely abandoned music for a number of years. Got to about age 13, 12, 13, and suddenly felt inspired to learn the piano. <laughs> just, it just, I just kept on seeing people around me playing piano, and I just thought, no, you know what, I do want to do this. But by that time, I'd forgotten everything that I was taught. Like, it had been a good number of years. I didn't know how to do anything. But that didn't stop me from wanting to teach myself. And um, I had my parents get this crappy second-hand, you know, Yamaha, my first keyboard kind of thing. Sure. (laughs) And I just played around with that. I would spend all day just twiddling around, not knowing what I was doing, but just, Mm -hmm. you know, just seeing what would happen. And um, one of the key ways I learned how to play the piano was just learning songs. If there was something that a song had that I wanted to learn how to do, I would learn the song. So, for example, um, I wanted to know how to do a little bit more independence between the left and the right hand when doing certain arpeggios or whatever, things like that. And I would learn Muse songs because Matt Bellamy 
had piano parts that were very well we had loads of that going on you know mm -hmm. lots of uh, independent in the left hand and like the song newborn specifically i remember being a song that helped me gain a little bit more independent independence in the left hand because it's mirroring it's like the opposite of what the right hand is doing which now is like okay it's the easiest thing i can i can do it without even thinking but back then this is like oh my god this is some weird coordination going mm. on but me learning to play that song helped me develop those skills and then just fast forward through the years and then eventually youtube is a thing suddenly and tutorials on the internet are suddenly very accessible so I found myself taking advantage of YouTube a lot, and if there were any songs that I wanted to learn, I would I would watch people play them on YouTube, and I could see how they were playing it. And one of the, the things that was the real barrier for me, became a, an obsession, was um, the song Firth of Fifth by Genesis. And it's got this piano intro that is just the most absurd piano intro that you you could ever hear. It's just like constant... 16th notes and time signature changes every other bar and it's literally it's just it's it's still the most technical thing that i know how to play barely know how to play but i set that as my challenge to learn back then which was like jesus christ am i punching well above my weight when i was <laughs> trying to learn that but um it did help it i took about oh jesus i think five or six months just gradually figuring it out bit by bit mm. and because I couldn't read music or barely could read music I learned most of it by ear I had, I had the sheet music for it but I <laughs> it was like trying to decipher smoke signals <laughs> for me like I could see that certain things meant some certain things but I couldn't for the most part it was just me learning by ear um it's that one episode of Star Trek where Picard stuck on a planet with an alien who just speaks in idioms <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's an alien language, and I, I've gotten better at reading sheet music now. I can't sight read. You can't put a piece of sheet music in front of me and expect me to just play off the bat. But I can now, you know, interpret it. But the thing is, is back then, I, gosh, I was so I was I've always been ambitious, <laughs> shall we say? <laughs> and I think that that was a real testament to that. I've always just had music be this strange. Thing that has uh, been a way of challenging me. Hmm. Yeah, this sort of light in the distance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to a certain age, I think 14, where I suddenly wanted to learn how to play the drums. <clears throat> so I did exactly that. <laughs> and um, we had this drum kit in uh, a little hut on the edge of the playground back in my school, back in school. And it, it was just this little drum hut thing. And you'd have to go and request the key for the drum hut from the music teacher if you ever wanted to go play the drums in the drum hut. And I used to do that every opportunity I could. And that's how I learned to play the drums. I didn't ever have any proper drum lessons. I, I, well, I had some in college, but I don't count those because those were very sporadic. One every, like, few weeks, and then I just abandoned them entirely. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pattern here. I clearly yeah. don't like being... Uh, Tutored. Yes. <laughs> I will find my own way in the dark, thank you. Exactly. And that has very... That's always been a pattern of mm. me and how I've learned things, how I've taught things to myself. I don't like... I don't like tuition. I don't <laughs> like people telling me how to learn things when I like figuring out things myself. 
which is not the way everyone should go about doing it. Definitely not, because I, as a result of that, I now have terrible technique. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned things in such a way where yes, I can play things, but I'm. It's definitely not the most comfortable way to play things. Sure. So to tie it back around, you know, the the Adam five or six years ago who said, you know, what what if I got other people in on this with me on the the this music that was at the time synesthesia has become Kairos. Are you in touch with what that Adam would think of where you are now on that journey? Above and beyond, yes. <laughs> it's this has sprawled into this thing that I could have never imagined would have been possible if I was doing it by myself. Sure. Cause there are ideas that are thrown around that are just so beyond me, especially from Joey. I mean, Joey is packed with zany ideas. And it's great. You don't say. It, 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 <laughs> it just, it's become a key part of the band, yeah. you know? Where I'd like to think that we have this grounded, rooted sound that people can relate to, but then occasionally we'll just go off on a complete tangent that people will just be like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Mm. And um, I think that is as a result of Joey's influence on the band. Sure. And uh, that's very much for the better, I think. It, it's, it has been interesting to see the band evolve, and again, how it's evolved continuously since the second album, with how we're approaching, or how we have approached this third album. Cool. Well, I think that feels like a fairly natural uh, ending point to the conversation, but before we go, very important question, who are you manning in Smash? Oh man, okay. I, I normally play as Pac-Man these days. Okay. I am a big fan of Pac-Man, and I just think, yeah, it, he's a lot of fun to play, and he, he does a lot. He, you can play very defensively as Pac-Man, mm. which is kind of my more my play style. As someone I'm, who's like a, a Falcon run in and punch person, yeah, Pac-Man's very annoying to play against, very utilitarian. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep, you can take advantage of that fire hydrant in ways that, oh my god, you can get really creative with how you use that fire <laughs> hydrant. If I'm not playing as Pac-Man, I'm really enjoying Villager these days. All right. Uh, another item-heavy, screw-you kind of character. You, you, yeah, you can tell the kind of playstyle that I play as. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking. It has yeah, been very welcome. quite a pleasure. Yeah, no, I've really enjoyed this. Yeah. So Thank we'll, you for bringing me on board. Absolutely. So we'll put links to all of the relevant Kairos things in the description below, uh, as well as to uh, the thing that I'm about to tell you, because... As always, Makers Cast is brought to you by Music City Makers, a creative co-op uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, where my friends and I make what we love, and we hope you'll love what we make. Check the link in the description below to uh, things like our Etsy store, our Gumroad. I assume you're already on the SoundCloud or the Apple Podcasts if you are hearing my voice at this moment, but feel free to rate and subscribe or like and share and all the other things you do on the internet. Say bye, Adam. Bye-bye. <laughs>